Welcome back, everybody. This is Eric and Matt, and this is Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit, your beacon of freedom and the American way of life. Tune in every Friday for a new episode as we dive into the world of liberty and what makes our country great. All right, guys, welcome back. This is Eric and Matt here with Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit. All right, we've got an awesome podcast here for you today, and uh, I I know it's been a while since Matt and I have gotten together to record podcasts, but uh, we are back, and back with a vengeance, as they say. (laughs) In today's podcast, we're going to be discussing military recruitment. Or the lack thereof. That's right. Right now, um, you know, it it just seems like there there is a, a lot in the news about the lack of military recruitment, the military not making their recruiting goals, and we thought it would be an interesting thought experiment to sort of break down an entire episode just on why we think uh, that is. Now, it's it's odd because this morning uh, I actually put up an entire Twitter thread of like maybe 18 tweets uh, that I unrolled there of, of, of these reasons. So we're going to sort of uh, dissect uh, this Twitter post that I made, which is actually doing pretty well. It's getting quite a few likes and shares, and uh, it's gaining some traction. So I thought, you know, hey, today, with this being a hot-button issue with a lot of people, maybe it would be a great idea to just go ahead and, uh, you know, talk about it, Matt. And you and I come from a similar background in terms of militarily, and, you know, we're both veterans. We've both, you know, been inside the grinder, if you will, at least enough to sort of understand the inner workings. Yeah, and just enough to know that it wasn't for us. (laughs) Well, and and here's the thing, too, is, is, you know, sometimes being a part of something bigger than yourself, you know, it can be really great for people. You know, they come away with some awesome life experiences. They have some amazing friends that you get that sometimes they end up being your friends for life. And there, hell, there's even situations where you haven't seen a person you served with in 20 years and then you stumble across them in life. And it's like, you just, you're so happy to see that person. And it's like, you just, that time disappeared in between the, the last time you saw him. So that is the military can be a rewarding experience for a lot of people. It can be a rewarding lifestyle. I'm not here to, uh, you know, detract from uh, the selfless service that many men and women, uh, you know, put forth every single day and continue to. Uh, however, there is a, a severe cultural problem that exists with military recruitment. And I think it would be interesting to break this down. And, uh, you know, this is my perspective and, and Matt's perspective here. And we're going to try to be fair and we're going to try to be concise. But I think that we really have to, you know, look some very discerning bulls in the eye directly here when we look at these things. And uh, I think people will come away understanding where a lot of us feel, a lot of us G-Watt veterans feel that have known war for the last 20 years. That's right. And uh, some of our perspectives that I think are, are very legitimate grievances. Absolutely. So uh, do we want to just sort of use, you know, the Twitter post that I made as as sort of a a way to keep us organized and we'll just go off some of these bullet points. Yeah. And you know, I know you posted about it and you wrote, wrote an article, but what this podcast will serve is really more of a long form explanation because you can only fit so much, you know, on Twitter or into an article. And this really gives us uh, the opportunity to extrapolate on what those points were. And also to add some stuff that maybe in hindsight, we can go back and say, well, this is also a reason because once it's posted, 
I mean, barring taking it down, this you don't really have anything else to say. About yeah, it. there's no edit button. Yeah, on there isn't. It's live. You can't go back in and, and really change something once it's there. Correct. And I'm not saying that I that I don't believe. You know, I I'm 110 percent on board with everything. I I, I mean I mean I mean what I say, and I, I stand behind what I said. But we'll go through and articulate on some of these yes. a little bit more. Articulate. So let's let's get into the first one. And uh, so a lot of people don't have any faith in the administrative state. All right. And uh, and that goes without saying. I mean, look at all of these alphabet agencies that are being weaponized openly against people. And and it's clear to say that most of those people that these agencies are being weaponized against are conservatives. Right. They're more of the, you know, I don't really believe in the whole left wing, right wing paradigm. You know, I'm I'm more of one of those kind of people that just look at individuals on an individual basis, and I judge that person individually on their merits and their flaws. So I think it sometimes can be a little unfair to say, well, because you're a, you know, rural redneck person with a gun that you are right wing, when that may not necessarily always be true, especially when the goalposts of that concept move so readily into the extremes on both ends of that political paradigm, right? So there's been a huge paradigm shift in those goalposts. In fact, that's an entire episode all in of its own. So we're not going to even get down that rabbit hole. But the point is, is that it's clear that these alphabet agencies are being weaponized against people on the right, the right-wing conservative uh, faction, if you will, of people. And traditionally and historically, most people that volunteer or join the military uh, for combat MOSs are typically more of your Christian, conservative, rural type of people. So right there, they're alienating a humongous group of people who already don't have trust in the administrative state, Matt, because of these inflammatory things that are being said about them. You've got the media parroting everything from you're a racist to you're a Bible-thumping, gun-loving person that... You know, they're going to try to paint you in the worst possible picture they can with the worst colors and the broadest brushstrokes, right? So how are you supposed to react as a young man thinking, well, I'm going to make a career out of the military when you've got your very own people weaponizing the very functions of the government against you when, I mean, aren't we all supposed to be on the same side here when you see that clear division? I mean, I think that that's one factor. That's why it's number one in terms of why people are so hesitant to join the military. Uh, I would just like to add on, I I agree 100%, but there's also um, this sensationalism that's going into uh, the military version of those alphabet agencies. So just like in the civilian world, you have, you know, FBI, CIA, like, you know, those investigative agencies in the military, or at least in the army and Navy as well, you have CID, you have JAG, which due to social media, has been has been brought to light that they're corrupt just like their uh, civilian counterparts. So you, stuff like the Eddie Gallagher investigation where they got caught manipulating, um, you know, uh, evidence and they got caught recording when they shouldn't be recording during interviews. Um, this is knowledge has been put out. So when you start seeing that and you're in a military environment, how are you going to, why would you want to go into that type of uh, organization knowing that, they're just as corrupt or they have a mission to win the case regardless of, you know, your personal outcome as a soldier or a sailor or a Marine. Um, you also have JAG and CID that are just like their civilian counterparts. They have a mission. They want to, they want to catch somebody. 
and it's been shown that they will do things that you know the civilian their civilian counterparts also do planning of evidence stuff like that and to go back to what you were mentioning about you know most of the combat arms or a large portion of the combat arms community being right wing right conservative stuff like that it's important to note that on the combat arms side of the military or at least in the army um, and and for other branches as well you can expect that one to three percent is combat arms so of the entire military only three percent is combat arms so where does that leave you know everything else you know 97 percent is a kind of a hodgepodge mixture of either right or left or center. And that puts you, at least from a combat arms standpoint, that puts you in a weird position because you're going in knowing that your beliefs and your values are in the minority compared to the rest of the organization. Sure. Um, and another one is, uh, if you look at what happened, I think it was maybe six months ago out of Fort Sam Houston, there was a lot of issues in Texas. There was a lot of issues revolving um, around, you know, cartel and like cartel people in the military. Um, lots of people getting caught trying to smuggle people across the border. A lot of drugs coming across the border from soldiers, um, missing people like in the military. These just are, going missing. Yeah, just going missing. These are things that you typically would be shielded from in the military because the military operates as its own government. So you're supposed to go in feeling safe. Like, all right, I'm in the military. Like, who's really going to mess with us? And right. then wrong answer. Well, Eddie Gallagher is a hero. Yes. And, it, you know, imagine someone at his level, right, at his rank, and his job and everything that he he was doing in mm -hmm. you know in combat and everything and to think that your own people would throw you under the bus that's another reason that someone may say well well gosh i mean if i'm going to go into a combat arms mos or any mos maybe mm -hmm. i'm a drone operator maybe i'm a fighter pilot maybe i'm the cook who knows how do i know that these people are really going to have my back and that they're not going to use me as a political pawn and throw me under the bus which the which unfortunately the military in general and as a whole has done time and time again. They have a track record of hanging their people out to dry. And this happened even when we were in Iraq and they had, you know, they were prosecuting, you know, infantry guys. They were out there trying to get them on war crimes for defending themselves, for defending their, uh, their, you know, friends, their convoys, just doing their mission. There, you have to worry about that. You have to worry about getting hung out to dry or letting the Iraqi government hang you out to dry and just leaving it in their hands. Like, oh, yeah, go ahead. You can have them. It is kind of weird it's that insane. You know, the ROE and as it evolved over the course of the war and it got more and more and more strict. And look, without – I'm just – I'm just going to say that yes. it's, it's like, look, you know, that that's a result of – you know, certain deployments and the the way that that particular rotation handled themselves and conducted themselves. And I'm not going to say that, like, our actions didn't directly contribute to why the RO, ROE was changed now. I mean, the difference is, okay, you might have shot when they told you not to or, or, well, maybe not when they told you not to, maybe when they didn't want you to, or maybe they would have been like, ah, we wish you wouldn't have done that or something like that. But there was always a legitimate reason, and it's not like you know you would just shoot at something for any reason. That would have to be obviously a really good reason. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I digress. The point is, is that you know nobody wants to feel like their comrades are not going to have their back. 
and especially the high command or the the people in charge, right? You want to know going into a situation that they're going to have your back and they're going to support your decisions no matter what. As long as, you know, obviously you got to follow a few certain rules and standards and things like that. But Mm -hmm. you want to know that people are going to have your back and that they're going to stick their neck out to protect you know, everybody. So the administrative state, uh, number one, that that is totally a valid reason. Uh, when we go back to, you know, if someone's a civilian and hasn't joined the military yet, all they have is a basis for knowing how the administrative state does things is what they see, right? They see all of this weaponization of the alphabet agencies against Joe Blow public. I mean, what if you're a pro-gun person who grew up in a rural area and on one breath, you've got all these people want to take your gun rights away, and Congress wants to take your gun rights, and you're supposed to somehow raise your hand and, and swear an oath to put on the uniform and, and, and do this job for a bunch of people that want to take your rights away? Yeah, they would hang you out the, in a second. Yeah, they want to hang you out already, and that's with, without yep. even having a uniform on. And then you're expected to put the uniform on and perform this job uh, for people that want to disarm you. And that's why you don't see a lot of people going career anymore. Like when you and I were in, Eric, you it was common to see career soldiers. Like it was like you, they were like, oh, I got, you know, three more years or four more years in and I'm, I've been in since I was 18 mm-hmm. and I'm about to retire out, oh, yeah. you know, at the ripe age of like 45, which is, you're just like, you're about to retire and you're 45? Like that's mm-hmm. insane. Yeah, you know, like join the military right out of high yes. school and make a career and, out and of it. And that was a valid thing. Like you had, you know, and 45 is relatively young, especially in these days. Um, but you just don't see that anymore. If you do, it's more on the officer side. Um, I don't really see too many enlisted, you know, personnel riding it out because it's become unbearable. It's just so unbearable for them to have this toxic leadership. And it's well, the officers have a, a, a much better reason to ride it out than the enlisted people because you know they have political aspirations more times. This than is not. true. You know, this especially once you get into general officer and. You know, general and above, and all the other ranks that come along with it. Heck, even colonels are are, are certainly grooming themselves to you know yes. uh, get into those political positions. I mean, a general is a political position. It's a position they put you in, and you know you're more of a politician at that point than you are. You know, I'm, I'm not going to say, say they don't make decisions, but there is you know much more reasoning for officers to to stick it out in the hopes that they're going to you know reach their political aspirations. I would say once you get to like captain. You have to make a decision on like whether you're going to stay in or whether you're going to get out because after that point, it's no longer fun and games. It's I mean, you're a captain at the Pentagon, like yeah, coffee it, for it's, people. It's, it's like, like yeah, you're you're an aide. <laughs> like imagine being a, a captain with like three combat deployments, and all of a sudden you're fetching this dude coffee. Like you you know you have to have a certain level of like you know, grit like that takes more grit than being on the battlefield, like serving this dude coffee. (laughs) All right. So let's get into number two. And, uh, and, and, and look, if you look up articles related to the, uh, lack of military recruitment going on right now, this is what it's going to point to the most. And that's kind of why it's second on the list. And they're not really in any order, but this is just one that came off the top of my head second. And that's this whole woke thing within the military and, uh, you know, the woke culture and without like pointing fingers at certain people or saying that it's one side or the other, I think the best way to look at this is strategically and militarily as a military person, right? Like if, if your job as a military is to fight the enemy and to have, 
you know, a good state of readiness and to be well trained and to be well equipped and to have good unit cohesion and to have good uh, command structure on the battlefield and good communications and to be an effective fighting unit, right? That is the goal of a military unit. Let's just break it down to those basic things and remove political aspirations or political woke activism or anything like that from the situation. People want to be a part of a unit that has a strong cohesiveness and that is effective and that, you know, has a high chance of survivability. I mean, wouldn't we say that that is an accurate thing that we all want in a military oh, abso- unit? absolutely. You want to survive. You don't want to go to combat and feel like, you know, the people around you are a liability. So if we just remove the political functions of the woke ideology from the situation and just say that we can all agree that if people are arguing about you know, Marxist critical race theory, or they're arguing about what gender they are, or trying to add their personal views into the military environment, I think we can all say that no matter how you feel about those situations, that's irrelevant. It's important to make the distinction that that gets in the way of being an effective fighting force. And what would you rather be a part of? A group of people who just ignore all that crap and focus on their job, or a group of people who are probably going to get you killed? Yeah, I mean, and that's, that's a factor. I mean, that's it, it you have really, to it really is. And I think that you know the the woke culture has, you know, inadvertently in the beginning weaved its way into uh, the military construct. The problem is, is that once it gets a root in the leadership, now it, you have that trickling down into the masses. And if you can imagine having a leader that values and i get it the military is supposed to be a team environment so everybody we us together the team uh you know you've all heard it you're only as fast as your slowest man which is true in training but you still have to have your individual goals and you have to have your individual standards and that's kind of put out the window with a lot of these leaderships they've become toxic you've had a lot of the you know woke culture come in that you see in the media and it's just not good um things that were valued for promotion are no longer valued for promotion um so a a good example of that is and you can read this on the dod insider military times website uh, and this just happened with the air force um the air force and, and you mentioned like huge bonuses getting paid out So the Air Force is paying out these tremendous bonuses to their cybersecurity, you know, or tech and cybersecurity uh, jobs, but they're reducing the bonuses for their, like, what they call strenuous and non-technical jobs. So you, on one end, you have the the technical side getting paid, you know, up to $60,000 in bonuses while your, you know, strenuous labor non-technical is only getting paid nine hundred dollars for an enlistment think about that i mean who would want to stay and if everybody is if nobody's doing the actual labor work or this what they would what they would determine and again that's who's the arbiter of that who determines what's strenuous and non-strenuous but there's just a vast gap in leadership what they determine to be you know, who's worthy and who's unworthy. 
And quite frankly, it's the Air Force. Everything is non-strenuous. <laughs> oh, all right. So let, let's just kind of backtrack a little bit and, and talk about uh, just real basically uh, the recruiting numbers, right? So this is just a snapshot of a website that just shared, uh, as NBC just shared a little bit. And this is like the first Google search. If you just go on Google and type in military recruitment shortage 2022, which you know is kind of hot news right now. It says the Army so far recruited only half the soldiers it hoped for fiscal year 2022, the Army Secretary says. With weeks left in the fiscal year, Secretary Christine Wormuth said the Army has recruited about 52% of its goal and will likely wind up short by as many as 15,000 recruits. So there's recruiting goals that have to be met and everything like that. And, of course, the bonuses they're paying out are crazy. So with the bonuses being, you know, nuts, they're offering bonuses and incentives, and they're waiving, like, a lot of things that in the past normally would keep you from being recruited. Oh, yeah, they are. I mean, whether it's, you know, hey, you don't pass a tape test or you don't pass a PT test or you don't pass a drug test or maybe you've got some questionable criminal history or something in the past, you know, they would have been much more stringent about like, look, you, you can't join the military if you've done X, Y, Z. They're even throwing a lot of that out the door and going, well, you got a little questionable past. That's okay. We'll still take you. And I'm not saying that a person shouldn't have an opportunity to prove themselves reformed and serve their country. Even uh, I'll even argue that I'm okay with that. As long as you go in there and keep your chin up and do a good job and, and, and be a good soldier, then then fine. Who cares what your past is because we're your family now. That's the way they look at it, right? That's where um, it should be, at least. Should be, of course. So let's – that's a good good way to get into number three. We're going to go ahead and, and, and move on here. But it, it's clear to say that, yes, you know, the just like in the civilian world where woke is broke, right? We've already done an episode about, you know, woke being broke and go woke, go broke. Uh, you know, it, it just, it's got a lot of negative connotations to it. It doesn't mean what it used to mean. And I, and I think that there are certain political factions that have sort of hijacked that woke idea and turned it into something completely negative. And of course, uh, we're not going to get into that entirely in this podcast, but it's just important to recognize that, you know, there are people that view the woke culture as a, as a good progressive thing that, that we should support and, and then those that don't. And, and of course, if military recruitment numbers are any, you know, indication, especially with the higher bonuses, uh, it would appear anyway that at least, you know, half of our society that would consider joining the military, let's just say, don't agree with it. So that, yeah. that should give you a pretty strong idea of the division of political ideology and how it react, how it, uh, correlates to military recruitment. Well, you know there's you can't a ignore pro- those numbers. You, yeah. I agree, and you know there's a problem when the Marine Corps is having a problem with recruitment because they've notoriously always been very, very strong at recruiting. They have a very good recruiting program. They have a good strategy. Some would even say it's predatory. I don't think it's predatory, but some would, um, and I will just say that that. (laughs) well i mean i mean the very basic they like to go into high schools like they'll just get you when you're in high school some some like the army will do that but these guys are just in there all the time they have like liaison officers for the high schools which is fine i joined uh, the army out of high school um best best decision i ever made um but i mean they have a very strong recruiting um, program but even they're having issues right now uh with the recruiting numbers and that says something because they've always they've always been on the higher end. The Marine Corps want 
the youth of our nation to be the clay that they can put in their hand and mold them into the super soldier they want them to be. Yep. And say what you want, but the Marine Corps makes the best killers on the planet. I would, nothing made me happier knowing that we had like Marines around us when we were going out for a mission. Yeah. We we're like, oh, so we have uh, two five out there. Okay. Yeah. We cool. can make we're fun good. of them all we want. Yeah. But at the end of the day, that look, I respect the Marines very much. I respect yeah. the institution and I respect the, the men and women it produces. Yep. So uh, they, they are a very time honored institution and uh, nothing but respect for our devil dogs out there. All right. Number three. All right. This is going to hurt some people's feelings. But listen, it has to be said. Okay. Listen, I will always tell you what you need to hear. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna babysit you guys and tell you what you want to hear. I'm gonna tell you what you need to hear. And that and just understand that I, I can speak for Matt when I say this, that a lot of us feel this way. So understand that I, I come from this position with the utmost amount of respect for those of you that have served in global war ter- on terrorism, okay? But here we go. Number three, twenty years of lies will make you wise. Now I didn't mean for that to be a rhyme, but I guess I was a <laughs> but poet it does rhyme. and I didn't know it. But um Look, a lot of people have been there and bought the T-shirt, okay? You know, Dick Cheney lied about weapons of mass destruction, okay? They they got this entire group of our youth to eat it up like candy, that there were these weapons of mass destruction, that Saddam was going to blow everyone up, and that we have to go in and, and save the world, you know, all this sort of thing, right? And it turns out that they knew... From the very beginning, it was a giant freaking lie. They knew there wasn't any dang weapons of mass destruction. It was all a giant lie to, you know, pad the pockets of the military-industrial complex that the Bushes and the Shaneys and all them damn people were all in bed with them. It was all a giant grift from day one, right? Now, to say that there wasn't some danger to us, of course. I mean, obviously, we're not going to go down the the road of of conspiracy theories or unproven theories or things like that. But as as a person that's lived through it and been the oil in the, between the cogs and the gears of the machine, you know, you can't help but see that, you know, you see a Kellogg Brown and Root truck pull up and you end up finding out that every single time you sign your name on that freaking piece of paper to enter the chow hall, that the U.S. taxpayers are paying like $89 for you to get a juice box and a freaking bowl of cereal and, and, a, and an omelet that cost them freaking pennies on the dollar yep. to serve you. And 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 to to know that it's it's really just a giant money laundering operation, it's a giant for profit operation. It's like a think about it like a for profit prison. As a, and I mean that's the it, model. That yeah, was the instead model. of it being a for profit private prison, you're the prisoner. You just happen to be somewhere else, and you happen to be doing tasks that make them money. Mm-hmm. I mean, but, but that's the way I've always looked at it. It, it. You know, after a while, you have to call it for what it is, and if. The lie that that got us there and perpetuated that situation for twenty years, and all right, look at the Shaneys. Okay, they're living high on the hog and mansions. They're free as a bird. Not a single bit of accountability came to any of those people. And then the vets from the global war on terrorism. Where are they? A lot of them are in prison, divorced, got addicted to drugs. You know, have their lives are ruined. Some of them are living on the streets, homeless, yep. hungry. Friendless, penniless, penniless, and for what? So it's like after a while, you got to call it what it is. You got to call it like you see it. That we were lied to, and and I think that the the stains, that the pain of that situation is still fresh in a lot of people's minds. It didn't just go away when we had this haphazard pullout from Afghanistan that was a giant debacle. That wasn't good either. 
But just because, okay, we're out of here. That's it. The global war on terrorism's over. No, it isn't. It just changed to a different location. You know, it's the same people pulling the same strings, trying to enrich themselves off the same military industrial complex. Now, I'm not going to get into Ukraine because that's not what this is about. But Ukraine is really just a continuation of this giant military industrial complex grifting, you know, situation we see before us. But people that are considering joining the military to get back to recruitment, they, they've got good memories. They remember this stuff. They don't forget. Not easily. Think about it. You want to join the military, who are you going to talk to? You're going to talk to people that have been in the military. You're going to talk to people that have served in combat in previous wars and get them to tell you. So what do you think they're telling people? You think they're telling people, oh, yeah, Uncle Sam will take care of you. Do you think that they're really going to have anything positive to say? Divorced, you know, drunk, addicted to drugs, homeless. You think they're really going to have a glowing review that they're going to give the military? I mean, that's just the truth of the matter. People can hate me. They can disagree with me. But at the end of the day, that's the truth. Well, I would, I mean, it, it's the truth and it stings. And to add on to that, you have, you have the Cheneys running around. Now, to play devil's advocate, I will tell you that when we were at the base, Camp Striker, I was very happy to take a warm shower when we were there. <laughs> I was very happy to have an opportunity to go in and eat some of that awesome KBR food. I don't know if it was worth $87. At the time, it probably was. But there is a, there at the time, it did serve a purpose. Now, I think that there was definitely some corruption that happened with KBR. And I think it was like two or three other companies, Halliburton, um, some other companies. Everybody was getting filthy. Everybody rich. had their hands. I mean, at the time, it was the Wild West, man. Everybody was getting paid. Um, but something you said really, like, really resonated with me, which was, you know, you have veterans of a twenty. You have twenty years worth of veterans, GWAT veterans out there. Some of them serving one deployment. Some serving. I mean, there's guys that have been eight eight deployments in two theaters of war: Afghanistan and Iraq. And you know, it made me remember, and I had to look it up real quick. These veterans are a lot of them are homeless. A lot of them suffer from PTSD. A lot of them have anxiety. A lot of them have like just some severe mental disorders. And the VA is actively turning them away they're they don't want to get them paid they don't want to uh, help them uh, get treatment that they need and i would say that you know if you did a combat deployment and you were exposed to the types of stuff that you see over there you know there is some compensation there that'll help you get back on your feet but to be actively turned away from that and turned down um, it, it should be a crime and it happens every time it happens all the time eric and when I turn around and I see, you know, there's something, and you guys can Google this. It's been on, it, they, you know, President Biden uh, issued a settlement for something called Havana Syndrome. And Havana Syndrome, guys, is, here's the definition. Havana Syndrome is an alleged set of medical symptoms with unknown causes experienced mostly abroad by U.S. government officials. 
So diplomats, government, high-ranking government officials, and spies. They have a magical disease that they got, Havana syndrome, unexplained. They all got settlements of $187,000. And this is recent. This was only in 2016 that it happened. And we so, got homeless veterans living we, on the streets. These, these people get $187,000 payments at one time payment. But yet we can't help the people that help secure the freedoms or devoted their lives to being overseas. We can't get them the help that they need. And people see that we're not stupid and the future generation is not stupid. They see that and they say, well, why would I do that? Why would I put my body on the line and, and be thrown out like a piece of trash? That's an excellent point. That is also a great way for us to segue to the next uh, one. And it actually connects perfectly to the dots there. Um, the next one, number four is that, um, you know, people see what's happening uh, to the folks that are currently serving. They're treated like second-rate citizens. I mean, look at the uh, it was either the State Department or the DOD or somebody said, "Oh, well, if you're on the mil- if you're in the military, apply for food stamps to deal with inflation." Yep. So if you're thinking about getting in the military and you saw that, because I mean, word gets around a lot more than what it did 10, 20 years ago. I mean, with social media, people can easily see what these government officials are saying, what the media is saying. People pay attention to that stuff. And if you're thinking about getting in the military, would you really want to join the military knowing that their answer to you not being paid enough is, oh, just go get on food stamps? Yeah. Excuse me? What? You do realize in the Russian military that officers live below the poverty line. Officers in the Russian military live below the national poverty line. They are lower than poverty. What do you think the enlisted guys live like? Yeah. Now, we're not Russia. However, the point is, you know, we've always been a nation that we try our best to take good care of our military, right? You ought, you ought to be able to we at least to. live like a normal person. If you join the military, you should be paid a salary that is befitting of a normal person that needs to live a normal life. You shouldn't be thinking, how am I going to pay for food? And then their answer being, well, go get on food stamps. Yeah, supplement that with food stamps. And there's a whole, I mean, Mm-mm. when you're in, when the military is no different than, you know, any other bureaucratic organization. There's actually a bunch of barracks in North Carolina right now um, that are basically, they had to evacuate. They had to relocate the soldiers that were living there because they were unhospitable. They were unlivable conditions. Um and they're trying to, you know, revamp these and rebuild them. There was a whole lot of corruption around third-party companies that are supposed to be handling um, uh, maintenance. And essentially what would happen is the soldier would call in and say, hey, put in a maintenance request like you would in an apartment. So if you live in an apartment and you need something, you call the office and they send somebody out there. Well, the third-party companies that are, you know, suckling at the government's teat uh, are – you know, putting these through as being repaired when they're not being repaired and there's no, and they're collecting. Yeah. They're collecting the money. There's no remedy. There's no customer service number. They're just marking these things as done. And these, you know, soldiers are living in black mold infested, you know, uh, uh, barracks leaks everywhere. And the, the answer is like, these stories get out. Like we heard about it. 
you and me, when we're civilians and we hear about this kind of stuff, what do you think everybody else is going to think? Why yeah. would I want to do that? And in the past, that? a lot of that stuff would have been buried or the public eye just wouldn't be on it because, you know, the information wouldn't be out there. So social media, or let's just say the internet in general, the internet has been a cultural phenomenon for a lot of reasons, which could almost um, merit an entire uh, podcast on its own to discuss yeah. those merits and flaws. But uh, it, is, it has also made the transfer of information much more prevalent mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, things are out there a lot more than what they used to be. Well, that and I mean, just YouTube in general, you start to see all these like uh, soldiers, airmen, Marines pop up with like making their rants online. And you see, and you know, I'm kind of torn because part of me says, oh man, that's not very professional. But at the same time, it would say, well, I'm almost happy they're doing that because they're bringing to light what's going on in the organization. Like if you have toxic leadership, of course you can't get it fixed because the leadership above them is toxic. What can you do? You have to yeah. put it out there into the into the ether. And yes, it stops other people from joining. Because if I saw some of these rants before I joined the military, I'm like, nah, pass. I'm not going to do it. So it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy that the only way that it's going to get better is if they actually change. So they have to change the leadership in order to make the rants stop. And then everything goes back to normal. So number five, we're going to go down the rabbit hole here. Now, this is another one that is going to be a bit controversial to some. Uh, However, I feel like it's an important thing to to, to speak of. And now I know there's going to be some varying opinions here, but basically number five kind of starts out as, let me just, let me read directly from it. And maybe this, because I articulated it fairly well, and I don't want to risk uh, not articulating it properly. Uh, Maybe you're not worth dying for. Ooh. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, think about it. Society has spent the last four to six years telling us how bad America is, how bad the military and law enforcement members are, how unfair life is in this country. And we've been told that our masculinity is toxic, that we're all racist. And now, do you want to be the first person to jump up and say, choose me when you feel like society has that opinion of you? And again, this is primarily combat MOSs who typically come from rural conservative communities and things like that. I mean, Tennessee is called the volunteer state after all. That's right. And let's, it's safe to say that, you know, most Tennessee uh, rednecks are certainly not, you know, leftists. Now, is that to say that your breakdown that you gave earlier about, okay, well, only 3 4% of the entire military is combat arms, which is true, right? But even support elements or every other aspect of the military, I think the breakdown of, let's just say, uh, progressive versus conservative is, I would say, either evenly matched or, if not, probably more right-leaning than you might think. Uh, I think traditionally and geopolitically, socially, uh, the military, and now look, people can disagree with me all they want, but the numbers don't lie. Statistically, the military is compri- has been traditionally comprised more of conservatives than it has. I, I agree. I the think, other side. but I think that the leadership is actually comprised more uh, of people that lean left, and that's where you start to see the issues, and that's why you see people getting rubbed the wrong well, way. It plays to the kind of people they are Ex- because they think they're they, better than everyone. They want to. They want to yes, dictate. Yes. They want to tell you what time it is. They want to, you know, claim that they know what's best for you, and without. Getting too far down this rabbit hole, you know, there's actually been some well-documented situations where, like, you know, commanders from World War II, for instance, on the German side. 
Now, I'm, I'm not going to get into this right here because it, it, this is almost a whole other subject in of it itself, but it's interesting that after we spoke to many German commanders that were captured in World War II and asked them, like, hey, what, what did you hate about fighting us the most? And, and they say, because you guys do things completely not by the book. Like, you don't listen to your commanders. You get on the ground and you see an opportunity. You take it. And, and that's a very, very different style of fighting than almost anybody else in the military. So if it's one thing that our military gets well that many other militaries fail at is that we are very much a eyes-on-the-ground type of group of people. We're going to see an opportunity, and we're going to take it, and we're not going to ask for permission. And our commanders are more of the kind of people that say, here's a very <laughs> loose or even direct you know, order. This is what we want you to do. The enemy's over there. We want you to drive them out, kill them, cap whatever. Mm-hmm. That's your objective. Bye. Yeah, make it happen. Make it happen. And and they rely more on the eyes on the ground to make that rolling choice as to go, well, I know we plan to uh, you know, take this ridge line or maybe go in through this this corridor, but you know what? Once we got on the ground, the situation changed and they can just quickly say, you know what? That's a bushwhack. We're going over here. Right. And that's not a typical thing that most militaries deal with. Right. So they do give that's one of our strengths. They, yeah. They do give the people on the ground a lot of creative license to, to, to make the mission happen. Cause I, even then I knew when we were running missions in Iraq, it was like you didn't even really plan it. Like you would plan it out the day before and make sure you'd go over the plan. And then in the morning, you'd have a completely different plan. It was just like, hey, this is what we're going to do. No, scratch that. We're going to do this. And sometimes by choice. Yeah. You know, so, sometimes you wanted to change up your route constantly so they mm-hmm. could not predict where you would be and at what time, right? Because combat is all about the time and place. Yep. It's about where you'll be and when you'll be there. And it can dictate whether or not you're going to get ambushed. I don't want to get into that. Yeah. But we'll move on. But But the point is, right, what number five was trying to drive at is that there are a lot of people considering joining the military that feel that society doesn't appreciate them and that you see all this divisive rhetoric that gets put out on social media and in the mainstream media about masculinity and manhood. And, you know, let's face it, like being a soldier, you're going to have to have a certain amount of masculinity. I mean, you you know. Well, there was always the (laughs) – I agree. And there was always this, you know – idea that when you go in like the military is hard like like not like it's not gonna like make you hard but the military joining the military and getting through that initial phase and experiencing it was a was hard for uh, was a hard thing to do and it shouldn't Um, be a cake and that and that was a draw to a lot of people that wanted challenge they're like oh i'm gonna join the army because i wanted the challenge that was that was a lot of people now you just don't have that when you say, like, "Oh, I'm going to join the the military." Why? Because it's a job. Like, mm. why? Because I want to pursue cybersecurity. Well, you can do that outside uh, of the military. Why join the military? Because, quite honestly, a lot of the stuff that you learn in the military doesn't translate. Uh, there is no like licensing or translation to the civilian world. Like, I know guys that were like, "Oh, I'm going to be a police officer. I'm going to go in as an MP." 
Well, good luck because that's 0% of anything you learn as an MP translates to being uh, a police officer. I mean, it does give you a leg up though. I mean, like if if you're going to go uh, used e- to, even if it's, even if it's for, for a position where let's just say maybe they don't even require you to be post certified mm-hmm. and maybe, maybe they're going to consider you as a recruit that they'll send you to police academy and pay for it, have the, have the, the place pay for it. Well, if you come from an MP background, they might be a little more willing to say, all right, we're going to go ahead and get you post-certified. Well, or maybe your certification from the military can can count as post-certification. I don't know that answer. I'm not going to pretend to be able to articulate that answer. Well, I'll tell you. Maybe that's a perception, though, is that people think that, you know, hey, this the military experience will translate to the civilian world. Well, I'll tell you now, it's actually become a, almost a detriment because so many there's so many GWAT vets out there that when you put military veteran on your, you know, whatever on your, what is that? I haven't actually worked for anybody for a while. Uh, what is that called? Your job application or Not your resume? Resume, because I haven't had to give anybody one of those. I haven't updated my yeah. resume in about 15 years. Because we didn't need to. <laughs> we don't work for nobody. Um, when you put, you know, a veteran on your resume, you know, it used to be like, oh, we can. this is a dependable person. They, they've gone through a lot. But now when you put it on there, they're like, oh, this guy's got PTSD. He's seen some stuff. Is he going to freak out in the workplace? Is he going to do something? Is he is he crazy? Is he going to be hard to work around? So now it's almost become a detriment. That's to a put very it on astute observation because it's like society has sort of programmed themselves to think that that military members who are veterans are unhinged yeah. or crazy or that they're going to be violent or harm to themselves or others. So that's a great point. That's actually something it, I did never even considered in my original. Well, list. I've had I've had buddies that you know that's happened to, and you know you talk about like discrimination on like age, sex, color, whatever it is. Like you know it, there is that there. It used to be called veteran preference, but now it's yeah. not. Now it's almost like a detriment. Yeah. So there's a few other bullet points here, and and I know we actually probably don't even have time to go through all of them, but I'm going to go through, and we'll just kind of. Uh, but we're getting kind of close on time. We've got a decent amount of time left, but I want to make sure that we um, that we go through all of them. Um, so this one, it says uh, they don't want to fight Americans. So as another reason why someone might not want to join the military, maybe. And and this is, of course, my opinion, uh, mm-hmm. mind you. These are all opinions. This is not like some factual thing that I that I came up with. These are just my observations. You know, uh, whether it's because I'm a victim of the time or I'm a product of the time, or perhaps I'm just an observer of the time or a casual observer of what's going on in our time. All I can do is observe what I see and react to it and develop my opinion on those things. So understand that where these come from, or these are bullet points that, that I just, I kind of see uh, as, as having my fingers on the pulse of our country. These are these are the, the beating of the heart that I feel when, when I talk to people, when I'm in my travels, and I discuss with young men and women who are considering joining the military, which many of them ask me. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I go places and someone says, well, what do you think about joining? And then they tell me their concerns. So these are some concerns that I have heard directly from young men and women uh, who are fans of the channel and that have spoken to me. So understand that these are these are things I observe, but they are still my opinions. Please understand that. So number six they don't want to fight Americans. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, what we're talking about is this peaceful divorce that seems to be happening across the country. Now, whether or not we want to admit that balkanization is a thing, it's a thing. Okay. And right now, this balkanization is very, very subtle. And maybe it's not like a literal change of lines on a map or whatever, but uh, it's a change of lines in society. 
right? Um, and I think that there are a subset of people. Now, maybe it's not a large subset, but definitely a subset of people. Obviously, by the lack of recruitment numbers, uh, you have to reasonably surmise here that that it's enough of a concern that you know people don't want to be put into a position uh, in choosing between the people and the military industrial complex or the the administrative state or what have you, right? People do not want to be put in a situation to put on a uniform and be told to round up guns or confiscate guns or to, uh, you know, carry out any other will or edict of the state that they may not agree with. And I think that's a very real concern. Now, um, let's see. Also, Gen Z, Matt, um, this group of people, they have... They're probably one of the most depressed group of people uh, in a long time. Like sixty uh, percent of Gen Z males have some form of depression, and, and they don't feel like they have a sense of fulfillment in their life. And they lean very strongly on their individual family units and their small circles of friends. So there's this lack of community with Gen Z that I, I feel like maybe 100 years from now, there'll be some study uh, that some behavioral scientist will do on this that's much more qualified than I. But maybe they'll lean back on someone like me 100 years from now or you and I and say, well, those guys were right. They called it. But it's hard to not see. Well, it's it. And I think that happens with every generation. I will tell you that I know we spoke briefly about this before we started the podcast, but Gen Z are, you know, like you said, some of the smartest people, um, technology-wise, um, they're far smarter than our generation. Um, but when you start looking back at history, we would say the same thing about other generations. Like when we were in the military, we said, "Oh man, you know, our it was our military experience was hard." But it wasn't like the guys in Vietnam. And then those guys are probably like, "Well, it wasn't like jumping in Normandy." I mean, it, it, when you look back through time. Every generation got softer. Like as much as we like to say we like to get stuff done and we're hardcore and we just did it and we gritted our teeth and, and bared it. If you if you look at the guys from like Vietnam or World War II, those soldiers they're like you guys are weak. Like these guys are running up mountains in jump boots with no socks and Boston with no jackets and freezing. Like think, I couldn't fathom that. This is like. It's yeah. unthinkable. Imagine strapping a shield to your arm and a sword and knowing that you're about to go and personally, person to person, fight every single person in front of you until either you're dead or all yeah. of them are dead. And imagine the grit that took. So yeah. Now, if you strapped a sword and shield to somebody now and told them to do that, what would they do? So yes, every generation always views themselves as unworthy of the sacrifices of the previous yeah. generation. And that's a great observation. Yeah. And like Gen Z now, like they've actually done studies there. You know, they're technically savvy. They're... They're very smart. They're well-educated. They're very well-educated. They place an overemphasis on education, which is a completely different thing. But they just – they don't, for some reason, don't have the same motivation to, to – they're just content. They're content with what's given to them, and, and that's getting off into the, the weeds on, you know, why the administration is giving out so much money because they've caught on. They've caught on and said, this generation is content, so as long as we keep them content – we're good. We can we can do what we need to do. All right. I think we already touched on this. You know, we were kind of talking about how, you know, we've got 20 years worth of GWAT veterans. And, I mean, a lot of us have kids. Mm -hmm. And what do you think we're going to tell our kids? Yeah, my daughter would so never. Yeah. That's, that's a given. Okay, we're just going to move past that. I think we already pretty mm -hmm. much covered that. 
All right. Uh, people are tired of endless wars. I mean, look, after 20 years of all this stuff, again, we talked about the, the you know the, how disastrous the Afghanistan withdrawal was and everything like that. Uh, people are tired of it. They're tired of endless war. And think about it. All right. At the time that the global war on terrorism was over, let's just say that the pullout of Afghanistan was the end. Let's just call mm-hmm. that the end. Whether or not it really is, one could argue, okay, again, 100 years from now, maybe some scholar will say, well, it actually didn't end until blah, blah, blah. Look, let's just say it's over as, a, as of the pullout of Afghanistan. You've got an entire generation of people that all they've known their entire life, all right, if someone was killed in Afghanistan on, during the pullout and was only 18, 20 years old, guess what? That person's whole life, all they've known is that their country's been at war. Mm-hmm. And we have to do better than that. Well, I think people are tired of endless wars. I agree. I the agree. people that saw it coming and then and then dealt with it, fought in it, survived it, and now see the other side of it how it looks. They have even more of a of a of a different view because they're like, you know what? We liked how life was before all this. We want to go back to the pre nine eleven world. Well, think about this for a second. In the same way that you know we bred you know, terrorists when we were in Iraq. So if you, you know, you were out on a mission and you killed a a kid's father, they grew up, we were there long enough for that kid to be a grown man and continue the jihad in his dad's place. Same thing happened in the U.S. You would have uh, a young soldier or Marine or airman go overseas. The wife might be pregnant. Guess what? That war is 20 years. That kid, there was enough time for that kid to turn 18 enlist in the military and still do two combat rotations in either theater of war in the same time. So the same thing that we were doing in overseas, the same thing happened here. We And I know there's kids that grew up in, and followed in their parents' footsteps and did the same thing. That's how long this war has been going. And look at the history behind it. Vietnam, we pulled out people evacuating off the embassies and helicopters. Afghanistan pulled out people falling from airplanes falling 20,000 feet cuz they're trying to cling on to the to the you know landing gears and freezing to death most recently after that Iraq e- evacuating the embassy off Iraq in helicopters yeah. every single conflict we're really good at starting and maintaining wars it's been quite a while since we finished one in our favor well and i think that a bulk of society has generally you know, begun to sort of look at conflicts that the U.S. is involved in more from a perspective of expansionism, globalism, you know, this empire, if you will. And I, I think that people are kind of waking up to the idea that, I mean, look, we're not saying that Gen, Gen Z and others, including ourselves, are not courageous enough to pick up arms and protect our country if we're invaded. Now, look, now someone wants to come on our shores and start some trouble, they, they better watch out because that, now that, on the other hand, would, you know, unite people in a way that this country hasn't seen since World War II if somebody actually decided to set foot on our shores. Okay, so let, let's just, let, let's suffice it to say that, that American grid exists. It's just that we've gotten wise to the concept of, I mean, uh, Bush said it, uh, perfectly himself right like fool me once shame on you fool me twice shame on me actually he said uh, he, he did, you better not do that again he said well yeah. ain't, uh, ain't you gonna fool me no more again, <laughs> but but the point is the point is though people are tired of you know endless wars and and look 
if someone's trying to hurt us, I understand. Like, obviously, if they're the enemy and they're here and they're at our doorsteps, that's a completely different discussion. Okay. Well, my biggest fear right now is with everything that we're going on, that we're going through as a nation, as a country, with the spending that we're spending. I mean, I don't, I've been watching Biden's, you know, a, national addresses and apparently we're spending a tremendous amount of money, 40 billion here, 6 billion on this, 2 billion on this, more stimulus checks. So with that said, I'm going to wrap it up on my end real quick. Our, our weapons supply is low. We've sold everything off that we have to Ukraine for the most part. We're trying to like replenish our own, you know, weapons supplies. All of our artillery is gone. We have no tanks. We eliminated tanks from the Marine Corps. So that all the tankers got reclassed. We have no more tanks in the Marines. Uh, Army still has tanks, you know, artillery shells. We've sold all those off fighter jets. We've sold off to other countries. We we're down on recruitment. So as much as you and I, Eric, talk about paper tigers, you know, Russia being a, the biggest paper tiger now, China, who knows? You know, my fear is that, you know, even you and I are being fooled right now because, I mean, as the numbers state, we're low on everything across the board. Weapons, munitions, soldiers, everything, money, oil. At this oil. point, our greatest strength is our geographical location. That's it. And that's it. That's that all we it. really have that's going all for we us. Have. And the fact that the people around us don't want to kill us bad enough yet. Exactly. Well, but that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. We have Canada and Mexico to think for that. <laughs> so thank you for being great allies. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Canadians are going through a rough time themselves. You know, Trudeau yeah. isn't exactly... Dictator Trudeau. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is some really weird situations geopolitically, which could merit an entire different podcast. We are kind of getting, uh, you know, towards the end of this podcast, but... I mean, here's the thing, you know, when we view, let's say, someone like Russia and people say, oh, well, they're a paper tiger, they're harmless. Well, they're not harmless, but look at what's going on with their recruitment. All right. They're struggling to find 300,000 bodies to throw into the fray in Ukraine. Yep. Now, whether or not Ukraine has the numbers to fight that 300,000 people off, look at the at the result of what's happening, right? You've got Russian civilians who are clamoring to get to the borders of Georgia, Finland, any country that will take them so they can escape. Putin's war machine. All the flights are so we're, full. We're beginning on the way to out. see the, the same sort of thing. Like, if we compare this to Vietnam, right? There were many people that were drafted in Vietnam that fled the country. They didn't want no part of it, right? So, is that to say that this is Putin's Vietnam? Well, no, maybe not exactly, right? But, but the point is, though, I believe, is that the, you know, let's just say the alliance between China and, and Russia has been spotty at best and more of a, let's just say, uh, an alliance of necessity rather than what they really want. Because I think the long-term indifference of what China and Russia's goals are for their individual countries moving forward are definitely at, at terms, or not at in terms of each other. They're certainly at odds with each other. And what I worry about is China going in while Russia's weak and then taking over Russia or something like that. And then China going, well, there's this Bering Sea land bridge to Alaska. Why don't we just go on and go mess with America, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, are we going to be strong enough if that time ever comes to ensure that if we are invaded, which very well could happen, that we have the readiness and the will and the heart and the courage to fight them? I mean, I'm looking at this as a 10, 20, 30 year, you know, this is generational 
situation that 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 could, could come to pass, or it could it could come to pass much sooner than we think. Yeah, nothing is outside the realm of possibility when it comes to geopolitical politics. And it's definitely out the scope of this video. But look, military recruitment's down. Matt, that's our perspective, brother. Yep. Uh, I hope that everybody you know can understand where we're coming from. Look, I have nothing but respect for the institution that is our military forces. Look, okay, I understand. Look, the army. I love you guys. Like, uh, look, we're, we've all sacrificed a lot. I'm not saying that I don't appreciate the military and what they accomplish and what they do and the courage of the men and women who join their ranks and the ones that serve now. I'm, uh, this is not an anti-military video. It's not. All we're trying to do is lay out in a concise way what we feel are some of the reasons that they're suffering with recruitment. And I hope that you can understand that we're trying to be fair. And uh, Being fair is important. Because when you're not fair and you show bias, then it doesn't very, very it doesn't leave uh, that much up to the imagination on where you stand. Agreed, man. Interesting times yeah, we're living. I thought in. It, I thought it was a great conversation, and <laughs> it's one of those subjects that's hard to talk about without trying to come off as being anti this or anti that. And I mm -hmm. think we we did a very fair job, especially because we have experience being part of you know the uh, military industrial complex we have experience uh in a combat zone doing combat things we've been on the other end where you know you've had to clean barracks with the toothbrush like you just understand everything that goes into being the like, lifestyle yeah and being uh the low man on the totem pole as well because that's, that's a right. big part of it that's right well I hope everyone has a great week, and thanks so much for tuning back in with Matt and I. Uh, we are trying to get as many LLP episodes in the hat as we possibly can. Uh, understand uh, we've got a lot going on in our everyday lives, and that uh, we want to continue LLP and keep these going for y'all. But, you know, there may be an occasional lapse of videos, and I apologize for that. But we will definitely keep these rolling as much as possible, and I hope that in the future um, we're going to bring in a lot of awesome guests as well. So we are working on that. Be patient, please, and uh, we will definitely keep these episodes coming. Have yourselves a wonderful week, a great day. Keep your heads up. It's going to be okay, and we will catch you guys on the flip side. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Life, Liberty, and Pursuit. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are found. Be sure to leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate that. You can support us over on Ballistic Inc. by picking yourself up some merch. And remember, guys, dangerous freedom. Have a good one.